happened at Owen Field. 100% that's happened at Owen Field before. I just wonder how OU feels about that, Parker. Maybe they don't care. I, I hope that they wouldn't care about that. Um, maybe Jason Fairs doesn't want ashes all over his field, but I wonder what OU would say if you tried that in like the middle of the game like that, or if you had to like sneakily do it. I don't know. Well, here's here's my question: Would Jason and his team like say say you actually managed to successfully dispose of the ashes on the field? What would Jason and his team do at that point? Or would they just let the ashes stay? Because like you don't want to. <laughs> How do I even phrase this? You don't necessarily want to disrespect someone's dying wish, or uh, and I guess it's not like the deed is done it, at that point. You just let it happen. You I don't just say I don't okay. Well, this just happened. yeah, like I yeah, but like, do you spread the ashes out? Do you like because you have a job to do, right? And so I, it's a really bizarre situation you're in when your responsibility, your occupational responsibilities, conflict with someone's dying wish to have their ashes disposed of on the turf of Owen Field. Well, I can tell you a situation that this has happened with my older brother. My older brother was in the Pride of Oklahoma, and when they went out to the Rose Bowl, one of his friends, someone came up to them and they asked them if they could spread it onto the field like when they went out there. And so they like handed them the bag, and then they wow. had to go out onto like the field, and like that's how they did it for the Rose Bowl. So this, I would assume it happens frequently by sneaking it uh, onto people who will have easy access to the field. Are you saying like when the band just first got into the stadium, or Pierce? You telling me it was the pride of they, Oklahoma? And I, they run I out believe and it there's was, ashes spilling on the field. <laughs> I believe it was when they were coming into the stadium. So they're trying to find, you know, how they like kind of file their way in, try to find their seats and in, in the stands and whatnot. I believe it was in that where somebody came up to them while they were like walking in the concourse, almost. So. No, it was not as they are announcing it. Somebody That'd just kind of awesome. throws them the bag, and no, it was it was a little bit more premeditated than that. Uh, wow! Now, on the uh, on the air comforts, or I'm sorry, on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, somebody from the nine one eight says, "Wood ashes give the grass nutrients. A body has to be the same, right?" Ladonna from <laughs> Lubbock says, "Hold up, like that's weird or an SEC thing? I've been telling my kids I want to be spread in the palace for years. Don't you dare leave my ashes in Lubbock." <laughs> Not not at the Jones out there at LaDonna. Uh not not we're not not at that stadium out there. We'll make sure that doesn't happen. Um, 405 oh, I can confirm it's 100% already happened. Dot 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 dot. Sound like someone already has there. From the 405, give the ashes to Danny Stutzman and have him to LeBron uh, like the LeBron pregame chalk entrance. Someone wants Danny Stutzman to do that with ashes. Uh, okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that's a little <laughs> extreme. Greg from Lawton says spread them and water them in. Um, let's see. I want my ashes spread all over Hall of Fame Stadium. Hey, ditto maybe for me on that one or at the new Loves Field. Um, it happens on our field a few times a year. I've seen it. So it sounds like someone that um, works on the field every single day. I, I don't know if that's Jason or not, but like we guessed, this has happened before, and it sounds like it happens at least a few times a year, and they've seen it. Interesting. I support it, though. I, 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 I support it. Who knows how many uh, how many ashes are, are out there on the stage. It, Parker, is that like the um, – is that like the ultimate college football fan move right there? Like you can go to all the games in your entire life. You can go to 
60 consecutive OU Texas games and donate to the program, but is that the ultimate stamp as someone is who's a true fan? Is if they have like this, like their their grandkid pours their ashes on the field. That I mean that's that's about as intense as it gets. I think. Yes, again, that is the ultimate display of college football loyalty and fandom. There is no act that I think signifies your devotion to a single college football team more so than that one. Ronnie Crimson says, spread my ashes at Ray's Barbecue. Love that. Uh, 580, save my ashes until they renovate the visitor's locker room and mix me in the concrete so I can haunt it for eternity. Now someone's using their brain here, huh? Oh, gosh. Like, ghost. That's what you need to create the toughest home environment in the SEC, guys. Ghosts. No one's thought of that one before. That's next level thinking right there. I would I would never have like I I would not have thought of that. By the way, that was Jason on the text line saying, I've had to uh uh spreading ashes on our field happens a few times a year. Jason has seen it. I've had to spread a few thick areas of ashes, and if you haven't seen them, there is some bones in it. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Jason, I, I don't know how you feel about that when you see that a few times a year. Uh, it's probably one of the more interesting things that, uh, that, that, that you deal with every single year. But, yeah, someone did it at Bryant-Denny Stadium, which is the uh, least surprising thing at all during an Alabama-Auburn game. That's That's crazy. Hey, by the way, um, some actual football news. I saw this on the text line. I think um, Ronnie Crimson texted this in. Corey Roberson was going to Arizona State. Now he's going to SMU, and OU is going to seemingly play against him next year, which is going to be interesting. So Corey Roberson, I guess, took a visit to TCU recently, but now he's, he's locked in with SMU. He flipped his portal commitment from ASU to SMU, which is interesting. So another guy with Oklahoma ties that you will see in the opposing uniform on September 9th when SMU comes to town. Somebody else from the 918 on the text line said, spread my ashes in the radio booth so I can mess with Teddy. <laughs> Please do. I, I'll do I'll do that one. Um, I will handle the bag on that one and spread them uh, So just so we can haunt Teddy for the rest of his days up there in the booth. Um, if you were in that situation, Parker, where, where are you, are you um, dumping yours over several buckies in the north and south Texas area? Where, where are your ashes going? Oh, man, I'm going to have to think about that. No, Bucky's. listen, I like Bucky's. We're not on that level as far as our relationship. Bucky's does not get my ashes. I, man, I, I'm hoping I don't have to seriously consider this for another 40, 50 years, Tyler, but... Just to be prepared. Uh, I, you know. Offhand, I do not have an answer for you as to where I would spread my ashes. Okay. Well, it's the uh, most pressing question of the day, so you know, maybe just ponder on it for another hour or so, and we'll come back to it in the final hour of the show. Uh, 4.05, where does OU stand with Joseph Jonah Ajonier? Do they stand behind Georgia? I'm reading that one because it's been texted about ten times today. Yeah, look, they're neck and neck with Georgia, and it's going to come down to official visits. I think it comes down to whoever can impress him the most during official visit season. OU gets him on the 16th of June. Georgia gets him on the 23rd of June. So I, you're not out of the woods. It doesn't feel like a slam dunk the way it did immediately following the spring game. 
So you've got to fight off the back-to-back defending national title uh, winners, and that's never an easy thing to do. But right now that's an OU-Georgia battle all the way for Joseph Jonah Jonier. We asked um, what in the second segment of Locked In today, what's everyone's uh, you know feeling on recruiting in 2024? Are you nervous? Are you confident? Are you freaking out? Um, correct me if you got a different impression of responses, but I felt that there was a little, like very small percentage of people saying that they're truly worried. Most people said that they're kind of just in wait-and-see mode with this class. Like, let's wait and see until we get into well, June and July, and then I'll really formulate my opinion. Well, and that's how you know who's been following recruiting for a while now and who just started following recruiting within the last few months because there's literally no reason to panic at this point in the cycle if you endured the peaks and valleys of last cycle as an Oklahoma fan and a recruit, Nick, because at this time last year, Tyler, the Sooners had, what, four commits, and one of them eventually dropped off in Ashton Cozart. So you had... Three guys that ended up in the class, Eric McCarty, Josh Bates, Jackson Arnold. You didn't get commit number five until three-star U resident Cade McIntyre committed uh, in the first couple of weeks of June. And obviously the blow-up for Oklahoma on the recruiting trail happened in the month of July when they came away with, I want to say, nine total commitments that month, most of them from blue-chip players. So if you endured last cycle... Obviously, at this point in the 2024 recruiting cycle, you're not freaking out because you know Oklahoma is going to peak later on, and you know that that surge is going to come in June and July. But if you're just following recruiting for the first time and you're just tracking individual recruitments and all you do is pay attention to the predictions that go out on social media, yeah, I can understand why you'd be a little bit concerned. But you have to have more perspective than that if you're going to follow recruiting on an annual basis in great detail. Now, this text on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, 405-651-3439, says the L's on the interior defensive line have me worried. Now, it says L, L's, which means plural losses so far. Is that accurate? Should it just be L on the interior defensive line, or have there really been L's so far in 2024 on the interior defensive line? Who else besides Zedavian Sims? I mean, there's been what. <laughs> There's been one L. There's been one L, and it was a Davian Sims, who, again, is a guy that was not terribly high on OU's board on the interior defensive line. Their priorities are David Stone and Joseph Jonah Jonier and Dominic McKinley. Those are the three guys highest on the wish list for OU's. A Davian Sims was no higher than number four on the board for Oklahoma. I can assure you of that. So, yeah, he was a take, so in technicality, it's an L, but... Until Joseph Jonah Jonier goes to Georgia or until Dominic McKinley commits to LSU or until David Stone takes an Uh-oh. enormous bag to go to Miami, Uh-oh. I, I, I'm not fretting, and you is shouldn't be either. Is there some new intel on David Stone, by the way? I, I may have seen a headline on that on OUinsider.com. Is there uh, some recent news that should make uh, OU I fans mean, feel good about that, or what's, what's, the, what's the deal? There is... There is some new intel, and I don't want to disclose all of it out of respect for the work that my colleague Brandon Drum did accruing that intel intel throughout the week. But David Stone is in the process of setting his official visits, and this was known previously, but he's going to take his official visit with Oklahoma at the Champion Barbecue. However, he's also going to OV at Miami. 
He's going to OV at Michigan State for what that's worth. And there will be a couple others that get set as well. But you can expect David Stone to be one of the big-ticket attendees at the Champion Barbecue Weekend next month for Oklahoma. Sooner Todd says, recruiting gives me a headache, so I'm waiting till June. Same, Todd. <laughs> Same. Recruiting gives me a headache as well. 405-651-3439 is the text line. Light it up. 100 days away until the start of OU football. 100 days from now. Uh, we will be inside Owen Field watching OU and Arkansas State. On three has their over-under evaluations of win totals in the Big 12. What do they think about OU at nine and a half wins? We'll tell you coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref. We're the home of Sooner fans. This is your home for Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. Rush on the ref. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune. I'm the senior station, or excuse me, Sooner Station Senior Living. Independent living is 55 and up. They also have assisted living and memory care. They're celebrating their one year anniversary next Thursday on June 1st. The amenities here at Sooner Station, a pool, full bar, and the sports pub. That's where I'm hanging out. There's a restaurant, workout rooms, live music weekly, full service salon, fire pits, courtyards, ton of activities. Call Meredith. To set up a visit, 580-229-6961. That's 580-229-6961. Sooner Station Senior Living or SoonerStation.com. All right, OU's over-under win total is 9.5, just like uh, the Texas Longhorns. And on three is evaluating, okay, is that too high? Is that too low? Is it just right? On three says that's just right. The number is right where it needs to be. It says even with Georgia no longer on the schedule, the Sooners having the same preseason win total as Texas seems slightly ambitious, and yet their schedule is much more favorable. Not only no Georgia, but OU also avoids K-State, Tech, and Baylor, three of the four programs with the next highest win totals in the league. Then it goes on to talk about the non-conference, you know, all that. But they say 9.5 is just right. Do you agree with that's where OU's win total should be? Or do you think it should be a little bit north, maybe to like 10, 10 and a half, maybe down at nine? I, I tend to think that nine and a half is probably the right number for this team. Nine and a half seems pretty spot on to me, Tyler. And I think that's because if they win nine games, we'll go, all right, didn't quite meet expectations, but that'll do. If they win 10 games, we're like, oh, all right, now we're talking. 11 games feels like you outperformed expectations. And if you only win eight games, I mean, you're not going <laughs> to – basically, you're not going to start a campaign to fire Brent Venables if you win eight games next season, but you are going to feel like you left something on the table to a certain a extent. So table. I think nine and a half wins is a pretty accurate representation of what everybody's expectations for this Oklahoma football team are, right? Like, and that's – I think that's where you see a reasonable win total emerge is when you got people that – 
cover the team, people from the team's respective camp looking over the schedule saying, okay, here's the games you ought to win, and here's the games you ought to be concerned about, and this is the consensus that everybody kind of arrives on, which I feel like we have as a beat, as a media scene in the state of Oklahoma. 9-10 wins is the realistic expectation, and when you see Vegas's win total align with that, A, you can feel good about your read on the team, uh, but also uh, you feel confident that uh, the folks that run the, uh, (laughs) I guess run the spread, I don't even know what the betting terminology is, but the folks that set the over-under out there in Vegas have been attentive to what your team gained in the offseason, what they lost in the offseason, what the hype and the buzz surrounding that program is, and they've taken that into consideration alongside all of the expectations for the other programs in your conference, and this is what they've landed on. It does show you, uh, like one of those sentences, just how different nationally the expectations are between Oklahoma and Texas. Because the way people talk about Texas is not the same way they talk about OU nationally. There might be a couple of individuals out there who think, OU is going to be really good this year. But for the most part, people don't talk about OU and Texas in the same way so far this offseason, and that's not going to change. And the sentence that kind of really highlights that is, the Sooners having the same preseason win total as Texas seems slightly ambitious. I mean, I I know what happened in the Cotton Bowl. I, I understand that. I mean, Texas did only win two more games in Oklahoma a year ago, which just kind of really shines a light on what people nationally think about Texas as opposed to OU. And on their nine and a half, on three says that that's just right as well. They say, should Texas win ten games? Probably. The Longhorns are certainly talented enough, but Sark has never done that once in his career, so it makes sense to open the team's win Mm. total slightly south of double digits. So, you're counting on a coach that's never done so before in his career to win 10 games. Like that to me is I'm not just running to take the over on nine and a half for Texas. Far from it. Yeah, and you shouldn't be because you have to interpret that win total within the greater context, which is that the win total preseason has been set reasonably high for Texas every single year for a decade, and they've continually failed to live up to the expectation once and they needed a bowl game to get to that 10-win threshold. And so, yes, Texas, I, I actually I agree with On3 here. You know, Inside Texas is affiliated with On3, so clearly On3 put this out without consulting the propaganda machine uh, that covers <laughs> Texas on their behalf. So that's encouraging to know and to see. But, yeah, I mean, Texas has a lot of talent, no question about it. They also lost a ton. They also lost a ton of their proven contributors, most conspicuously Bijan Robinson. And there are legitimate questions as to whether they're going to be able to move the ball as effectively as they did last season, a season in which they won eight games. So, nine point five almost seems a little bit high to me. But in a Big Twelve that is not expected to be a powerhouse. In 2023, I'm, I'm okay with 9.5, even if I do feel like it's a little on the high end of the spectrum. Yeah, you, you know what? It's If they're not able to run the ball next year, or if they're just not offensively what people thought that they were going to be, everyone immediately is going to say, oh, yeah, yeah B. John Robinson missed him more than maybe what we projected. You know, B. John Robinson, B. John Robinson. It's the reason why the offense isn't so good. And, and yes, that'll be the first name that you should bring up. I just... 
I don't know about you, man. I feel like Roshan Johnson is not going to be a talked-about name next year that they miss, but that could be maybe more of a big deal than people are evaluating at this point because you do need two running backs in college football. E- even with a guy like Bijan Robinson, they still needed Roshan Johnson to get carries. They, they did. And now that he's not back, if you had him coming back and he was going to be your starter, then maybe you view the offense a little bit differently. But you're not just replacing him. You're replacing two really good running backs. And I don't know, man, let's see if they have two really good running backs this year. I I think that that loss of a legit number two back, maybe like one of the best number two backs in all of college football last year, like replacing that is pretty important too. And running the ball effectively was a staple for this Texas football team a year ago, and it wasn't all on B. John Robinson's shoulders. I think it's a really good point here that you're making, Tyler. The loss of Roshan Johnson is somewhat being undersold nationally, but unless you see somebody like Jaden Blue really come into their own on an accelerated timeline to be the guy at Texas out of the backfield, what you're going to have to rely on is Quinn Ewer's arm. And To this point in his collegiate career, Tyler, I don't know that Quinn Ewers has shown enough for you to be able to rely on him and feel good about that. Yeah, rest of the list, uh, K-State's win totals at 8.5. On3 says that's too low. They've got higher expectations for K-State. Okay, interesting. Uh, TCU's win total is at 7.5. They say that's just right. I'd probably agree with that. Um, Tech is at 7.5. They say that's too low for Texas Tech. So the hype train in Lubbock is as Agreed. high as it's been Agreed. since uh, Mike Leach has been out there. Uh, Baylor's is at seven and a half. They say that's just right. Okay, I'm, maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic on Baylor. I don't see a ten-win season for Baylor, but won't shock me if they're an eight or nine-win team next year. Um, how about this one? Oklahoma State at six and a half. They say too low. On three says too low for Oklahoma State. They're going to be a seven-plus-win team next year. That is an area I'm not ready to go just yet. I've made my feelings on Oklahoma State clear. I don't want to rehash all the same talking points, but here's what it boils down to. When your starting quarterback, at least the guy that's presumed to be your starting quarterback coming into the year, is a sixth-year senior who was third string and didn't see the field at Michigan last year, yes, I have my reservations about whether or not you're going to be bull eligible at the end of the year. KU at six and a half, they say that that's way too high. Uh, UCF at six and a half, they say that that's way too low. And then BYU at five and a half, they say that one is uh, that one's just right. So, yeah, um, here's just another example of the favorable schedule that OU has next year with uh, all the teams that they play and coming in with like six and a half and seven and a half win totals. It doesn't necessarily guarantee that. You know, no one's going to rise up and be a good football team. But if you look at it by the win totals, yes, the favorable schedule that we keep mentioning uh, for OU, uh, it looks just like j- looks just that when you're talking about the win totals. Hey, uh, by the way, you've got TCU leading Kansas. Four seed TCU leads eight seed Kansas three to one in Arlington. That's in the uh, other winners bracket game of the Big Twelve tournament. OU will play Texas Tech tonight at 7.30. Texas is already eliminated. They went 2-Q. Oklahoma State beat West Virginia, so they're moving on after winning the uh, their loser's bracket game. So, so far, Texas and West Virginia are going home. So the bracket is breaking really well for OU baseball. 
uh, so far this tournament, but OU could really do themselves a favor by uh, winning the, uh, winning tonight over Texas Tech and really being in a good spot. They won't play tomorrow. They'll have tomorrow off, and they won't have to play again until Saturday. So your pitching will be in a uh, about as good a situation as you can ask for if OU beats Tech tonight. Parker, what is going on over there at uh, Westwood Golf in Norman? Well, there's a lot going on over the next few months. And in the immediate future here, there's a free junior golf clinic coming up June 13th and 14th from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock a.m. on those respective days. It's open to ages 6 through 17, and there is no registration needed. So you can just show up, you can just show up, take place in the free junior golf clinic out here at Westwood Golf Course June 13th and 14th. And then... Later on in the summer, you have the Westwood Junior Golf Academy open to ages 8 through 17. That's going to run you $120, but you'll get seven meetings over the course of the summer, June 20th, 21st, and 27th, and then the 11th, 18th, 25th, and 26th in July. Those will be from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock in the morning. And the final day of the Academy, July 26th, there will be a tournament, a pizza party and medals distributed so you can go sign up online or come here to the westwood golf course pro shop there you go and i'm at center station senior living centerstation.com their one-year anniversary celebration is happening next thursday on june 1st from 4 to 6 p.m you can come out and enjoy live music drinks and food you can also take a tour of the building as well that's center station university north park norman more to come next we'll get to your texts uh, right here on the ref for the homeless center fans the Ref Radio Sports Network is powered statewide by the insurance adjusters at Brown O'Haver. Fire, wind, theft, or tornado, we can help. Call 405-735-5510. To the text line we go. It is the rush on the ref. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune. Ronnie Crimson, I guess, breaking some news here. Michael Hawkins received the invite to the Elite 11 Finals. I didn't see. I, I saw a uh, an updated list this morning on the Elite 11 participants. You had what Riola was there. TCU commit Haas Haney, one of my favorite names in this 24 class. So this must have happened in the past couple of hours or so. Can you confirm Michael Hawkins is going to the Elite 11 Finals? Yes, I can confirm that, and that that is very fresh, hey. like within the last 15 minutes. So there you go, yes. But uh, it is a pretty good list, all things considered. Julian Say and Alabama commit, he's going to be there. DJ Lagway, the Florida commit, will be there. Danny Kalen recently flipped from Missouri to Nebraska. He's going to be there. Another Omaha area stud. So close to my heart there. Uh, Danny Kalen's going to be participating at the elite 11 as well the roster is still under construction the list isn't totally finalized but yeah michael hawkins the most recent addition and a guy that i think is going to open some eyes when he heads out there from the 405 terrible non-conference schedule just because other schools play cupcakes doesn't mean oh you should play someone and be someone honestly how can you be upbeat about OU being three and oh against those teams to be fair, I, look, they were supposed to play Georgia, so I'm not going to hammer OU's non-conference schedule this year because well, they were supposed to play the best program in all of college football right now. So do I wish they were playing some more entertaining opponents? Yes, but they were supposed to. They were supposed to. 
How can you be upbeat about OU being 3-0 against those teams? You also asked that. Um, I mean, I'm not going to totally, you know, think everything is switched based off of a 3-0 non-conference. How can you be upbeat? Well, you can be upbeat if the defense plays shutdown football and this offense is scoring a lot of points and they're doing so without going up tempo. I don't know. Maybe that's not good enough for some people. They're three not very good opponents. But like I've said several times before, most people won't be bought in until they beat Texas this year, until that game. The Texas game, I think, and it's not an earth-shattering take here, Tyler, but the Texas game was the barometer for the rest of your season. There's a very good chance they'll use 5-0 and heading into that game when you look at the schedule that leads up to be. it. So we're going to find out what – I feel like most years we find out what type of football team Oklahoma is when they get to the Cotton Bowl in October. I think that's all the more true this year because – uh, much as we found out when Kansas State visited Norman that OU's 3-0 and start through non-conference play and a pretty dominant start therein was something of a mirage, I think we're going to find out whether what is almost promised to be a hot start for OU, whether that's a 4-1 and start, a 5-0 and start, what have you, we're going to find out how legit that is when they go toe-to-toe with Texas. And I also think it's going to be a barometer for Texas as well. because. Absolutely. I don't know if they have – well, Alabama, obviously, I don't know how much that tells us. I think Alabama is going to overmatch Texas big time. So I'm not putting a whole lot of stock into that game for Texas as far as the overall strength of their team is concerned. But how they respond to that environment against Oklahoma, especially coming off the emotional high of a 49 nothing beat down over the Sooners a year ago, it'll tell us a lot about Texas too. Uh, recruiting comment from the 405. We're still in a good spot if we land David Stone and or Williams Winery. It would be just as good, if not better, than the 2023 class. And, and I'm guessing that you're saying recruiting rankings-wise, it would be just as good, if, if not better, if you land Stan- Stone and or Winery. Well, if the recruiting rankings going to be just as good, the number four class, with what Georgia is com- has compiled, along with uh, Ohio State, Michigan, and Notre Dame, you're going to have to get both of those guys. You're going to have to get a five-star wide receiver in Bryant-Westco. Like, you're going to have to close nicely, I think, to have at least the number four class. Like, I don't know if you have to get every single one of your targets to get into the top five like that, but it's going to have to be pretty close. No, it will be, and you're going to have to have five-star representation. I've long said I think the Sooners are on track to get – three five-stars in my mind in this class, and I think the three most likely candidates there would be David Stone, Will Nguyenary, and, of course, Bryant Wesco. Now, is it a guarantee that OU closes on all three of those guys individually? No, and maybe that's not the expectation Sooner fans should have because if you set your expectations too high, you can only help but be disappointed by the outcome. But I do like where OU stands on an individual basis with all three of those guys. I know there's been a lot of smoke lately about Stone and Nguyenary and Wesco individually uh, with with regard to each of their respective recruitments. But uh, if you get those guys, great. If you get all three, awesome. If you get two of three, I think that's still a win for Oklahoma. And I I would figure that most fans are going to be a lot more inclined to get excited about the two guys that they get as opposed to wring their hands over the one that they don't if that hypothetical scenario comes to fruition. Yeah. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago on Locked In. It's, you know, what does what does success in the 2024 recruiting class looks, look like? Well, 
to me, and I think that we both agreed on this at the time, it's what do you do on the defensive line? Like, yeah, you, you need to close with Bryant Wesco. That would be an awesome wide receiver class. You need to you need to get um, you need to do some damage on the offensive line as well. But what we will consider a success or a disappointment will depend on the names that you just mentioned there. Did they get those heavy hitter names on the defensive line with the SEC upcoming? And if you do, then yeah, you got a chance to be in the top eight and maybe even be in the top five. We'll see. Uh, let me hit a couple more texts before we hit a break. Uh, eight one six says typical Texas would be for them to beat Alabama then think they've already won the national championship and then show up to Dallas way overconfident and then lose to OU. Uh, well, I mean, that's been an issue for Texas um, for the past, you know, 10-plus years, Parker, is you just can't trust them on a week-in, week-out basis. You know, they'll have a bad football team like they did in 2015, play great against OU, but then the very next week I think they got shut out by Kansas State. So... I don't necessarily disagree with the point. I don't think that they're winning in Alabama. But Texas has got to figure out a way to be consistent um, on a week-in, week-out basis because they have seriously been a wild card every single week for about 10 years now. Well, and that's kind of the nature of the beast when your program is always rife with talented football players and the culture is, to put it kindly, less than stellar. Some weeks, that talent's going to gel. You're going to get guys all on the same page, and you're going to play impressive football. Some days, everybody's going to be on a different wavelength, and it'll be disastrous. That has been the reality that Texas football has had to deal with for the vast majority of the 21st century post-Vince Young. I think even last year that was the case, right? You know, they played well against OU. I mean, even given the situation there, um, they played well against Alabama, but... Then they lay an absolute stinker on the road at Oklahoma State. They have a huge opportunity at home against TCU, and they can't move the ball offensively. Like even like they were an eight and five team. I know everyone's building them up to be a top five team, seemingly heading into this year. But they were a super in- inconsistent football team last year. Like I, I got to see them change and fix that before I'm ready to think that they're just the uh, runaway favorite to win the to win the Big Twelve this year. Uh, All right, we'll get to more of your texts coming up next, 405-651-3439 on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. TCU up on Kansas, 3-2 in the bottom of the second inning in Arlington. That is the uh, winner's side uh, or the uh, winner's bracket on the opposite side for Oklahoma. OU and Texas Tech coming your way, 7.30 tonight. Winner is off tomorrow, won't play again until Saturday. We'll close up hour number two next right here on The Ref. This is your home for Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. Sooner Station, Senior Living, that's where I'm hanging out today. Independent Living is 55 and up. They also have assisted living and memory care. Celebrating their one-year anniversary next Thursday, June 1st. Amenities at Sooner Station include a pool, full bar in the sports pub, uh, workout rooms, a restaurant, live music, weekly, full-service salon, fire pits, courtyards, tons of activities. Call Meredith today for a visit, uh, 580-229-6961. That's 580-229-6961. Call Meredith today for a visit to Sooner Station Senior Living 
Soonerstation.com. OU softball tomorrow at 1 p.m., but you do have uh, Super Regional action getting started tonight. Georgia and Florida State, game one of that, Super Regional, 6 p.m. on ESPN2. Oregon and Oklahoma State, game one of the Stillwater Super Regional at 8 o'clock on ESPN2. Let's get to the text line before we hit the top of the hour. From the 405, I see the vision that BV and company have. Whether we land the second set of recruits in that vision is yet to be determined. I see it, though, LMAO. Uh, Whether we land the second set of recruits in that vision, I'm guessing the second set of recruits in his vision is probably front seven players that we talk about seemingly every single day. I'm guessing that's the case. I would tend to believe that's the case because, well, yeah, I mean, look, we've talked about it. Interior defensive line is crucial, especially in this 2024 class, because not only are you getting ready to make the transition to the SEC, but you just so happen to fall into a situation, Tyler, where you have a recruiting cycle with a ton of top-end depth on the interior defensive line, much more so than there is in the 2025 class. And you're in good shape with a lot of the top guys on the board, you also have the best of the best in David Stone, who happens to hail from your own backyard. So the stars have kind of aligned for Oklahoma with regard to defensive tackles in the 2024 cycle, which makes this a pivotal class for Todd Bates because if you don't get two or three difference makers at that position, your job only gets more difficult in 2025 and 26 because this is a special crop, kind of like we talked about the 2023 class with quarterbacks. That's almost what this 2024 class is to elite defensive linemen. You probably just answered this next text from Dylan. It says, when do we need to be disappointed if our defensive line is not SEC ready? I would say with this year's recruiting class, pretty much with what you just said. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be SEC ready, you, you're you not going to find guys via the transfer portal that come in and are instant difference makers on the defensive line unless you're mule shoe and you drop a bag for a Bear Alexander, right? So you're going to have to recruit at an elite level or at the very least an above-average level at defensive tackle if you want to be able to make the transition to the SEC on July 1st, 2024 and feel good about your ability to stand up at the point of attack. Uh, from the 918, outside of NIO, what is making it so hard for Todd Bates to get his guys? Negative recruiting, poor first year at OU. I mean, I think those two things that you just mentioned there at the end, yet, yet not having a ton of defensive line success recently, yeah, that makes it hard. Um, poor first year at OU, yeah, that makes it a little bit tougher. I mean, you mentioned outside of NIL in the text, but, I mean, when you look at the case of David Hicks, Can you go like, outside it, of NIL? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly, right. I mean, that NIL really is the, the main reason there. But if you are wanting reasons outside of NIL, then you probably hit on two pretty good ones there. Negative recruiting, haven't had a ton of NFL success there and poor first year at OU, sure. But we're talking about that's a pretty small percentage compared to what you didn't want us to mention, which is NIL. Yeah, honestly, the shortcomings of – the Oklahoma recruiting efforts on an, on the interior defensive line thus far are more of an OU issue. Like, they reflect more so on Oklahoma than they do on Todd Bates. I am of the opinion that Todd Bates has shown enough over the years to let us know that he is an adequate recruiter 
and I would say one of the better recruiters in the country at his position when you talk about defensive line, defensive tackles, coaches nationwide. But he's in a situation at OU where you have to reverse the narrative, and Oklahoma didn't do a whole lot in 2022 to reverse the narrative. We got 100 days away until OU football. 100 days until we watch an OU play Arkansas State inside Owen Field. Kickoff time still uh, TBA on that one. But when we come back, let's talk a little OU softball along with 100 days away until the start of OU football. What's your uh, weekend prediction for OU and Clemson? Hit us up, 405-651-3439. Final hours next.